Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 221, Top 10 Rolling Rights. We'd like to thank Brian, who upgraded his membership to the producer level. Brian, man, you rock. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And Anthony, we are back. Unfortunately, we are not back together again in the same space, but... I think for our listeners, they're a little bit glad because the sound quality should go up a little bit higher than usually is. Yeah, less echo, me sitting all the way across the, the desk there. Although, to be fair, it, it is a little bit easier to record in person. So, like, I can it tell is. when you're about to say something and I'm not just randomly interrupting you. And I'm less likely to cough or bump the table. I don't know why. Sure. It's something about being alone in my office where I'm just like... Woo, let's bump some tables. <laughs> you get really crazy there, man. You're throwing down tables. You're flipping them over. You're throwing pieces across the table. That's what I do when I'm alone. You you don't. That's not, <laughs> not what you do. <laughs> well, I mean, you are the solo gamer, so that makes a lot of sense that that's, that's the kind of activities that solo gamers tend to do. I have to play with people. So when I do that kind of stuff, they're usually not too hip to it. Yeah, I mean, I think mostly it's when I'm watching Game of Thrones, so knocking things over oh no (laughs) the show that shall not be named no we're not gonna go there guys this is not a game of thrones podcast well i mean it is next week but this week it's not (laughs) Uh, board games it's all about board games yeah speaking about unsatisfying conclusions to epic series especially i got a chance to play ti4 this past saturday and I'm like so hyped about it. And I was really excited to play it. I took pictures of the board as we were going on. And I'm going to send these pictures to Anthony. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to wait for the end. I'll send these pictures to Anthony at the end because all these massive armies come up. And I was doing really well. And I think you remember, Anthony, last time we played this, it was a little problematic to actually get to the table and actually try to play the actual game. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was, at some point, threats made against other people. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Noisy pizza eating. There, were, there was some stuff. Yeah, <laughs> there was some stuff. So, just like Game of Thrones, it was a fantastic, epic series of events that got right up to the end. And then it became a little Kingmaker-ish, where I was in the lead by a couple of points And I was like, oh, I could kind of finish the game out this round. And then the people were like, hey, he's going to win. Let's get him. And other people were like, hey, we can't stop him. It's too late. And then there were even other people who were like, hey, I want to go home. It's late. (laughs) So so it became an epic battle between the people at the table. And I was just sitting there going, I I don't really know what's going to happen. But if if you guys want to go home, it's fine. It's like like after one in the morning. And we've been playing the game for, I think, I think it's got to be at least six hours. And I was just sitting in the middle collecting my points. You know, I had all the great kind of like diplomatic cards sitting out there. And at the end, people were just kind of like messing with each other, trying to jockey for position. And we actually didn't get to play the final full round. And it was kind of a real, you know, kind of a bummer situation because you want that epic conclusion to the game. But then you get to the point where you just don't have enough time and everyone is kind of fighting and it just kind of falls apart. So unfortunately, that is my second game of TI4 that fell apart. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. My rule of thumb with this game, and 
the only way I'll play it if someone invites me is if it starts at before noon. It has to start before noon because what happens, okay. this has happened to me twice, the one time with you and then another time. If you start later in the day, that's exactly what happens. People get tired, they get hungry, and at the end of the game, they cannot help themselves from stopping that one person from winning. But all that does is a prolong the game. If you're up by two or three points, sure. it doesn't mean you're going to win because you could score three points in a round in this game relatively easily. But but you're just adding a round to the game and each round of TI4 is an hour. So it's just yeah. like, and once you roll it yeah. over and you're like, oh, we're not going to end this round, people get mad. So yeah. it you got to start early enough because the game is... Sure, on a good day, it's four or five hours, but most of the time it's six to eight. And if you start at five o'clock, yeah. ugh, you know, ugh. <laughs> That's our recap of epicness that fell apart at the very end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Next time we play, we'll start at like 9 a.m. We'll, we'll do it. Next con. There you go. All right. So there's a little tale from my table, so to speak. But we have a lot of things going on with BGA, but let's actually get to the really super, super fun stuff that does have an epic conclusion that everyone does love, Anthony. Let's talk about our Patreon contest. Yeah, Patreon contest. Woo! So this week's winner, or last week's winner, I should say, because uh, we want to highlight the people who are already getting their games, hopefully. Kyle. Kyle is a, a gamer I've known here in Pittsburgh for a little while now. We've met up with him at Origins last year. He got Space Core that's on his way to him. And Space Core is not a game. I have not reviewed it yet on the show because I haven't played it in the all various permutations you can play it. But I really, really like this game. It's one of my favorite GMT games in a long time. And I do look forward to talking about it here once I get it out a couple more times. Kyle, I think you're going to like it a lot. And uh, maybe we'll get together and give it a go. The, this week's winner is a relatively recent backer, just a couple months ago, Rico. And, and Rico is going to get an email from me later tonight and big old list of games to choose from. So he'll be able to take one of those games uh, for himself from Game Surplus. And if you guys want to get in on the action like Brian did, um, our previous backer who up to the publisher level, just anything at the producer level or higher on Patreon, you will be automatically entered into the contest every single week. We give away a game courtesy of Game Surplus. Every single week that we do a, an episode, we've given away like 14 or 15 now. Lots of other cool stuff. We have bonus episodes. We have the Slack group. You guys, when we need suggestions, we go there first. So a lot of our topics and uh, some of the, the games that make it into our brackets, those come from the Patreon backers. So definitely hop in there if you're listening and you're interested in getting in on that. Yeah, thank you so much for backing us. It makes all the difference in the world, your support. And your reviews and your recommendation to other gamers, your comments on Facebook and on Board Game Geek and on Reddit, it really does do a great deal of good. And it actually helps us put on the podcast and get out to conventions. So once again, thanks so much. Continue to do the great things. Thank you for being part of Team BGA. All right, Anthony, that's not the end of the great stuff that we're doing for our listeners out there. What else is coming up? Yeah, so we do this every time there's a World Cup. So... It's every three years and then two years in a row, I guess, is how this ends up working. Because this year is the Women's World Cup, which starts on June 7th. So that week, we're going to do our World Cup bracket. And it's going to be for alternate history games. So games that are historical, are Euros, but are a little weird in some way. Like like one of my favorites, Spirium, which is, you know, it's 
clearly industrial England, but with this random mineral that doesn't actually exist. So we're going to be setting up brackets for that. I'm going to pick 32 games and we're going to run through them in uh, the contest that we do. What, what I want you guys to do, and I'm going to post this this week, is to send in your recommendations for games to be in the bracket. And we're going to do that for the next week or so. I'm going to be building that between now and the next episode or so, so that we can put the contest up and you can pick the winners. But in the meantime, I need recommendations, any games that maybe aren't top of our minds or that you think really fit that theme really well, just like a weird, twisty, steampunky alternate universe, whatever it might be. We want a good mix of games this year next week we'll announce the brackets and we'll put the contest up so you can enter that and this will be open to literally everybody anybody who wants to hop in and make their picks and uh, they'll win one of the games on the list yeah we already had our fun with the historically accurate (laughs) universe so let's get on to the fun stuff so whatever you have hit us up we really love to hear it all right anthony so that's what's going on with bga what's going on with our listeners what's our question of the week Question of the week this week. Are there any games you used to love that have fallen out of favor either due to a new game taking their place or just your taste changing? So it's kind of along the lines of games that have replaced other games, but a little more open because some people just have games that they used to love and now just don't play anymore. David mentioned Splendor. Used to play it a lot with his wife, use it as an introductory game for non-gamers. But the last time I played it, about a year ago, it was boring as heck. So <laughs> he didn't trade it because his wife still likes it, but he doesn't really play it anymore. Mark mentions all social deduction games, just all of them. So <laughs> I'm with you, Mark. <laughs> Guillermo mentions you Understone Advance. I am a total medieval fantasy junkie, but there are so many better options out there. We have Stuart mentions, <laughs> ironically, a game I've seen a million times, but never played. Killer Bunnies. His group of friends <laughs> used to play this all the time. They would play it at night with drinks. Uh, but they lost interest after f- several months, and uh, the very idea of playing it again seems silly and like a waste of good game time. So lots of stuff in there. I think there's a lot of different reasons people might pick games that they drop off. Drew mentions games that it replaced others. So Decrypto replaced Codenames. Clank in Space replaced Clank. That one's kind of cheating. Uh, <laughs> Baron Park replaced Patchwork. Chronicles of Crime replaced Sherlock Holmes. I think I agree with all of those. For me, it was Gaia Project replacing Terra Mystica. Terra Mystica being one of my most played and highest rated Euros, and now it's in my closet. I don't play it at all. Summoner Wars is another game that I just don't play anymore, even though I used to love it and played it constantly. It just doesn't come out. Uh, There's a lot of other good two-player skirmish type of games that I play instead. But yeah, I think it happens a lot. There's so many new games every year that you only have so much space, right? Yeah, I think, as it was mentioned earlier, all the social deduction games for me have kind of like just completely disappeared And that was something that was part of my normal game night that at some point, usually towards the end, you play a social deduction game. And recently I was at a game night and I saw a part of the group playing social deduction games. And then the day after I was like, hey, I I don't understand. Why are you guys playing those? Like, we only have so much time at this location. Why are you not playing something heavy? And they're like, no, this is fine. It's kind of fun and stuff like that. I'm like, eh. All right, the people are good. I mean, that's really why you play social deduction games or you play party games is because of the people that are there. And obviously there are great social deduction games and not so great social deduction games and same thing with party games. But I typically don't find the time for those anymore because time is so valuable. And if you're going to play a game, you want it to be epic and built big at that point. 
and just generally there really isn't a lot of time to play the stuff that's just kind of like filler because you know it used to be that you always carried filler games with you too but now it just seems like we got to get into the big games right away no matter if it's crunchy or just fun thematic games or if it's just something that's all about you know a certain kind of like intellectual property like ah, it's all star wars we'll play star wars games not tonight like ah it's awesome let's totally do that but yeah i don't seem to have time for the filler games especially that i used to that used to be really a big part of my game night all right so that's everything for our question of the week if you'd like to reach out to us our social media is everywhere board game geek board gamers anonymous.com facebook twitter instagram I don't know why we're everywhere. So please reach out to us. Let us know what you're getting to the table so that we could talk about it on the podcast and let other people know how great board gaming is. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that's going on with our listeners and the stuff that's coming up with BGA. Let's talk about the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. Yeah. Acquisition disorder this week is on Kickstarter. It is a, re-release of a much older game but it's been pretty significantly updated and that is clinic deluxe from albin viard this is the i think this is one of the earlier games in his series of small city games and it's kind of this self-contained universe of games that take place in small city so there's card city xl which is the most recent version of card city there's town center which hasn't been updated in about five years but is honestly one of my favorites of his. Uh, it's more like a three-dimensional version of Card City. And then Small City, which is a big board game version uh, of the, that kind of spin on the spatial reasoning of Card City and Town Center. Clinic is different in that you are very specifically running an emergency medical care clinic, right? It's not like a whole city. You're not building up different types of things in the city. You're running a specific building within that city. So it is somewhat you know it gets nitty-gritty in the details similar to like what tramways does which is kind of also in this universe and that it's really just about that one part of the city like moving people to and from um, different types of buildings but here you have several different ideas there's kind of some pickup and deliver mechanisms you're moving patients back and forth you have to get people through like pre-admissions and and fix their different cases and manage your doctors and nurses and maintenance staff and kind of keep everything moving and honestly, if that sounds interesting, this is probably a game for you. And if that does not sound interesting, it's probably not a game for you because it is a decently crunchy Euro simulation, Woo! <laughs> which I'm all about. This particular edition, though, the reason I'm so excited for it and keeping in mind that I didn't play the original, this is not something I tracked down, even though I do have the rest of his games, is that it A, has Ian O'Toole artwork. This is the first, I believe, Albin VR game that looks good, which is like if you've seen Tramways, it looks like a print and play, even though it's probably his biggest production to date. A lot of these games just do not look good. They are good. They're very, very good, but they look not great. You know, splatter level of components. This one is beautiful because it's Zeno Tool. It's got the pastels. It's got the big sweeping board. It's got the great little miniatures. The cost is comparable, so, you know, you get what you pay for, but it also does a lot of upgrades. The rules have been rewritten. It includes a solo variant as well as a beginner and expert mode. It has some bonuses and penalty changes, so different things happen based on kind of the game. It's been basically rebalanced a little bit, and then, of course, the component upgrades. There is an expansion included as well um, that you can pay for, the extension, they call it, and... 
just overall, it just looks really interesting. And like, we don't have the space or time here to kind of run through all the mechanics of it. But as I said, it's kind of a simulation style game and his games are generally kind of crunchy. But the reason I like them so much is that they tend to take familiar mechanics that you know and just rework them in a certain way where you have to think about how different pieces on the board interact with each other outside of like X to Y, Y to Z. They all kind of influence each other in a more circular way. And so I really enjoy that. I'm actually looking forward to this quite a bit. I have it saved. I'm not 100% sure from backing it at. Again, it is fairly expensive for the two of them. It's about $100. But it is up for another 16 days as of this recording. So you have until May 31st if you are interested in Clinic Deluxe Edition. Yeah, I was really interested as well in this game. But I have yet to find somebody who actually played the original version. And since the original version is out there... It seems like something I should either be able to do or get a good sense of how the game plays out. I mean, there's some information on the Kickstarter page. There's some old reviews out there, but obviously we're not going to know everything, at least because the new version is going to have, I guess, some revisions to it. As you mentioned, it looks great. It's crunchy. I have Small City. I love Small City. I don't mind the artwork, but it is a little too kind of like early Facebook kind of app game look to it. So this looks fantastic, and it's strange that it's fantastic because it's, it's one of those games where it's like, hey, you want to you want to learn about logistics of running a healthcare industry? I'm like, not really, but <laughs> it looks kind of cool. So maybe, yeah, maybe I do want to learn about the logistics and the, the management of the healthcare system. So sure. So I, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't know if I'll back this. I'm going to try to see if I can track down a copy to get to play it before I back it because it's incredibly expensive and once again this is the problem with kickstarter is because since it's on kickstarter and since they can maximize their money by offering this uber deluxe version of it and because reviewers don't get review copies of these games and because you know friendly local game stores don't get demo copies of this game you have no idea what you're paying for especially so far in advance and it, it becomes a bit of an issue. It's like you want to do it, but you're really not sure if it's going to be a bang or a bust in the end. So there's a lot of challenge going on with that, but I got a game that's pretty simple as far as whether you're going to, whether you're going to buy it or not. And that is century, a new world. Now this is the third game in the century series or the fourth game. If you count the Gollum edition, which I absolutely do because I'm a really big fan of the Gollum edition and totally bummed out that they didn't actually take the Gollum edition, you know, along for the ride and produce those versions in their other games. So Century, A New World is the third and final game for the trilogy that we knew about way back when. Now, you remember Century Spice Road was all about trading spices in order to do this kind of, I, I guess, for lack of a better term, it was a little bit of a hand builder, engine builder, dominion kind of play where... You're building up your hand, you're getting resources, you're transforming these resources, and it's a set collection and you're trying to fulfill the contracts. Pretty straightforward, pretty simple, great artwork, great cards, fantastic little game. Then you had Century Eastern Wonders, which basically was the cards on the table as little tiles and you moved a ship around and you were able to kind of swap out resources, generate resources, and then run to certain areas in order to fill those contracts. So it was kind of like 
a, a ridiculously lighter version of Agricola where you have the cars and now you have Caverna, which is the tiles, but it's basically the same thing. So basically you're playing the same game yet again. So in Century, A New World, what you're doing is you are taking the resource generation mechanic and you're moving it into a worker placement situation. Now, this game, like the two other games, will be able to combine to make slightly different games. So there's going to be a number of different unique rule sets depending on which games you can combine. So you can combine one, two, and three, or one and three, or two and three. So you'll be able to play something different. The game itself has these kind of like modular boards, and you'll be able to flip over the tiles based upon what version of the multiple games are you sticking together is going to hit the table. So basically, you're placing your meeples in order to gain the same resources that you've been gaining throughout the way. And as you gain these cubes, you are trying to fulfill these resource contracts. And when you do, you'll be able to slot these cards on your personal player board, which will give you a special ability throughout the game. There really isn't a lot of information out there right now. We do know that this game will be available at Origins Game Fair this June. But beyond that, we just have a couple of pictures. We know that the games all combine together, or you can play this game separately. I'm really looking forward to this game. It's been a great trilogy. I love the idea that these games combined, and it's definitely something that I will pick up at some point. Yeah, I pre-ordered it because, I mean, Acquisition Disorders, obviously. And then uh, <laughs> I'm not going to Origins sure. this year, so I can't pick it up. I picked up the last two at Origins, and so I felt, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm missing out. I'll just order this one. I like I like the other two. Uh, I like how they combine, and so I'm kind of excited to see what happens with the third. All right, so that's everything from our Acquisition Disorders. Anthony, we're getting on to the games that are hitting the table. So for this week, we're going to let you know if the games are pickups and you should run out and buy them. The games are sit down and plays because they're fantastic. The games are dodges or the games are the dreaded burn. Why don't you let us know what games you played this week? All right, I played Tiny Towns. This is a surprisingly hot game from AEG. I know like they had that big thing, like we're only releasing this many games a year now, and this is the one for right now. So they're putting a lot of effort behind it, but I'm still kind of surprised because it's a relatively light, basically roll and write type of game. And it's, uh, it's doing pretty well. The idea of the game is that every player has a four by four grid in front of them Uh, it's just a little board has 16 squares and throughout the game and you can play this two ways but the main way that you play with other people at least is someone will choose a type of good and there are several different types i think five and they will take that cube and everybody else takes the same cube and they put it somewhere on their board and then the next person does it and the next person and so on and so forth And there's going to be a tableau of cards set up in the middle of the table that represent eight different types of buildings. There's the cottage that is in every game, and then several different ones that change from game to game. I think there's four or five of each of them to choose from. And those include things like where you're going to get your food from, whatever church or town center you have, taverns, um, factories, warehouses, that kind of stuff. And these each, each of these types of cards is represented by a specific building meeple. So there are, you know, eight of these different meeple types and you'll use them based on which card is out. So you place all the cubes on your board and then you look at the cards. And when you've matched that kind of polyomino shape uh, of patterns, you will take all those cubes off and replace one of the squares of those cubes with the building. So you're trying to manipulate and move and balance things around your board to get as many buildings down as you can 
while also building kind of a chain of points. So, you know, one of the buildings, for example, is each building of this type that's in a corner is worth plus one points. If you get all four in the corners, they're all worth four. That's great. Uh, another one is, you know, for every adjacent well, it's worth two points. So you try to surround it with wells. And so there's a lot of different types of scoring things. You're going to look at that tableau at the beginning of the game and kind of decide what your strategy is. And similar to a roll and write or a game like Karuba, theoretically, everybody could make the same decision because you all have the same things in front of you. But that never happens. So <laughs> like, I know it's one of the criticisms these games tend to get, but it just doesn't happen because people are focused on their own thing. I really like it. It is very evocative of a roll and write, but it's not quite a roll and write because again, everybody's picking one. You're not rolling dice and then choosing what you want to do. You're picking exactly what you want for your tableau and then other people have to figure it out. And sometimes that can be kind of brutal, you know? Like you could look down and be like, well, I could use a red or a blue, but if I pick a red, that helps you and you. If I pick a blue, you're in trouble. So I'm going to do blue, right? And it's that kind of game, like where you really are thinking about what's going to help you, but also what's going to hurt other people. And it's light enough that you can pretty quickly tell what's going to hurt other people. There is a variant where you draw cards from a deck instead and just take the cubes that show up based on the cards that come out. I like that better for like playing with my kids or playing by myself. Obviously, solo mode is going to be like that, but it's kind of cool to play with other people and have that level of interaction where you typically wouldn't in a game like this. The game also gives you special buildings. Everybody gets one card from this deck of special buildings. And sometimes they're weird, crazy shapes since you have to decide when you're going to build it, how you're going to build it. Some of them do amazing things, other ones less so. So it's kind of a toss up whether or not you actually want to build it. But this is a really good game. I had a lot of fun with it. It's very quick. Seven, almost eight year old did very well himself playing it. We had a lot of fun with it. And it's it's right up my alley. It's like a puzzly pattern building game kind of roll and ready and takes, you know, I don't know, 45 minutes to play at the most. So it, it's a good filler on top of everything else. So I give Tiny Towns a buy. I think it's absolutely worth picking up if you like this type of game. The price point is not bad. I think it's $40 with the amount of wood pieces that come in the box. I think it's totally reasonable. High replayability because you have all those variable cards and a lot of expansion opportunity. Uh, and because it's from AEG, I expect that we'll see that. So if you like this type of game, if you like rolling rights, if you like just quick, easy, accessible games with a decent amount of interaction, but not too much, Tiny Towns is definitely worth checking out. All right, well, that's a great review. I know you said that this isn't a rolling right, but if you did have to kind of like wedge it into that category, would you recommend this higher or, you know, highly as far as in comparison to those games? Yeah, I mean, some people are purists when you talk about rolling right, which I find silly <laughs> to be pure about anything in, these, in this type of uh, industry. The idea of a rolling right is that there's one thing that comes out of a deck or out of a dice or whatever it is, and everybody has to do that. And then you're really just seeing who makes the best use of that thing. So, you know, we're going to have our top 10 rolling rights later. And there's at least a couple in there that don't have dice because you don't have to have dice to be that type of game. This kind of fits that mold. Um, I also mentioned Karuba. Again, one of my favorite types of games at this weight. And it does the same thing where everybody has the same tile every round, but it's how you do it. So this one is up there because of the replayability and the variability and the fact they know we're going to get more content. 
So I think, yeah, I mean, it's really solid. I, I really like it a lot. It's a little heavier than your typical roll and write, which is good because you got like a nice box to go with. Uh, and I think it's hitting a lot of people in the right way. All right. So a game that I was able to get to the table this week is a game that's been a long time in coming for me. And I, a game I actually talked about a little bit earlier, and that is Century Eastern Wonders. Now, I talked about Century Spice Road a long time ago. A big fan of that game. I actually got a chance to demo that game long before it came out and even enjoyed it way back when. And actually finding this second game in this trilogy was fantastic because, as I mentioned earlier, having a game that kind of continues the story is such a great idea. Now, there really isn't a legacy model here or a individual story or a family story that kind of continues on. But basically, the game or the spiritual successor kind of continues on here. So whereas Century Spice Road was all about trading spices on the land, Century Eastern Wonders is about trading spices amongst these different spice islands. So now the game becomes a really unique kind of archipelago of these different islands. And what you're doing is you're moving your ship throughout these islands in order to pick up spices exchange them for other spices, and then meet contracts that are at the different ports. So at the start of the game, you will have an opportunity to place your ship out, and then you are going to kind of go across the islands and pick up these spices. And when you are able to exchange spices for other spices, you've made some business there, you're going to drop an outpost. Now, dropping outposts are important for two reasons. One, it's going to score you victory points. And two... If you're able to complete a column, you'll be able to get a special bonus token that's going to give you a special ability like just straight points, or you can get one that's going to give you red cubes, or you're going to get one that's going to be able to move your ship, or one that when you place one of your outposts, it's going to allow you to upgrade your cubes. So if you have played Sentry Spice Road, you pretty much know how this game plays out. As I mentioned, because these are tiles on the map, and there's no cards involved here, you know exactly what's available, and you typically can reach everything on the map. Now, where the game kind of gets a little bumpy out there is because when you do complete a contract, at some point, some ports will be closed. So once that pops around to you, now you complete your contract, now that port is closed, you gotta sail off somewhere else. But if someone's able to complete a contract on the other side, your port becomes open again. And now it's kind of like this situation, which is kind of like the original card game where you just might get lucky. The islands might be right near you that have the spices that you need right next to the contract, whereas someone else might need a combination that is just spread apart. So if you get lucky, that's going to help you complete your contracts. The first one to four contracts ends the game, you count up points, and then you have a winner. I really enjoyed this game. This is a solid play for me because it really does allow you to kind of have that, I would say, gateway game kind of feel, but the production is outstanding. The opportunity to merge it with the first game, so cards actually do come into play here, is a lot of fun. It's not, you know, mind-blowing or anything, But it does a solid job. It's not like 504 where, oh, you can put all these things together and I'm sure it works. No, these things actually work together. It stays a gateway game wait. And it's a lot of fun. So if you're looking for a gateway game by itself 
or you're looking for a gateway game that could be combined with other games, I would highly recommend playing Century Eastern Wonders. I love this game. Yeah, Century Spice Road was good and all. I I just didn't play it very much, but this one came out. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm in on this series now. I love this. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, it just totally reminded me of the Agricola thing where you have the cards and now the Caverna thing where you have the tiles. And it's just a lot more fun to move along the island. And it's a little more dynamic as far as that's concerned. So yeah, I like this one a lot more too. All right, Anthony, so that's the games that have been hitting our table. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are looking at the top 10 Roll and Write games, a favorite for Anthony and games that he always gets to the table, so much so that I'm going to let him roll on right. All right, Anthony, what do you have? All right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw this on the schedule. I didn't put it there either. I thought it was funny. And I was like, ah, oh, I guess I'm running this one because... This is 100% my thing. And it it's funny because Roll and Write games in general, while I've always liked them, they've exploded in the last couple of years. I think at least half the games on this top 10 are from the last two years. And then at the end, I'm going to share five or six that are coming out in the next year that I'm excited for. So there's a lot of Roll and Writes happening. I tend to pick up all of them. So... There are some older ones I haven't played, but this should be a pretty good list for you guys if you're looking to get into them. All right, so let's kick it off with number 10. This is a brand, brand new one, which I just finally got a chance to play. I did not back it on Kickstarter, but I did get a chance to play it. It is called Fleet the Dice Game. It is a dice game version of Fleet, which is a slightly older Ben Pinchback, uh, Matt Riddle game from Eagle Griffin that kind of flew under the radar, but was a really solid game about fishing. Uh, this is the dice game, of course, as is often the case. A lot of these games are just re-implementation of board games with or card games with dice mechanics. The game has 10 rounds. Each round has two phases. In the boat phase, you're going to draft dice that kind of let you upgrade your boats, get new licenses, etc. In the town phase, you're going to do additional things that kind of utilize all those powers you've unlocked. Get new ships in the harbor, catch more fish and all that stuff. The fishing actually happens between the phases in the even rounds and then the player who, you know, so I guess five times in the game, end of the game, you're going to get whoever has the most points. This is probably only not higher on the list because it's so new and I've only played it once or twice, twice now. I've played it twice. The game is getting a lot of rave reviews, though, and the people who I played it with who played it multiple times rated it even higher than I have here, so... Definitely looking forward to playing this one a little bit more. Number nine is Quinto. Quinto came out in 2015. It's in a family of games. There's a lot of games that are like this that have multiple versions of themselves. This one's fairly straightforward, though. You have a sheet of paper with three rows in it, each matching a color. Uh, There's three dice in the game, and you are going to choose a die every time they're rolled and match them up to these three rows. You're trying to get the numbers in order. So you have a certain number of times you can miss, you're trying to get, lock in certain shapes in those rows and maximize your score. This is one of the faster games on the list. It takes about 10 minutes to play. Fairly straightforward. I, I like it quite a bit just because it is so straightforward and quick. Some of the roll and write games can go a little bit longer than I feel like they should. Uh, this one does not. So that is number nine, Quinto. Number eight on the list is another relatively recent release from 2017, Castles of Burgundy, the dice game. This one came out very quickly after the card game. Uh, So I feel like it flew under the radar. Not a lot of people even know it exists. When I bring it to game night, people are like, oh, there's a dice game version too. 
and it's pretty solid. I mean, it's a little more fiddly than your typical roll and write, especially because the sheet tries to replicate what the Castles of Burgundy board looks like with all the hexes. But you have multiple die types. You have, you know, the color dice. You have the number dice. You have a timer die that kind of influences how the game moves. There's a timer mechanism that kind of moves the game along as well. There are things that will trigger the shipping action. It really does a good job of replicating the different things that happen in Castles of Burgundy, but with dice. Now, as I mentioned, some of these games can go a little bit longish. This one's on the higher end of okay, about 30 minutes or so. It plays, I mean, all these games play infinite number of players, to be honest. But this one says one to five. It's really better with just two people, just back and forth. A lot of these games are like that, but not all. We'll get to them. Uh, but I think it's a solid implementation of Castles of Burgundy. Not as good as the card game, but as a roll and write, pretty solid. That's Castles of Burgundy, the dice game at number eight. Number seven is a re-implementation of Avenue, which is a little bit older game. It is Kokoro, Avenue of the Kadama. Now, this is a game based on uh, an earlier IP um, from Indie Board and Cards. So it's got those cute little Kodama guys. And it is one of the games I mentioned earlier that doesn't actually have dice. So... You'll be using a deck of cards and kind of drawing and deciding how to draw on your board. And you're building out this kind of grid and you're going to score based on how you connect different things to each other and what parts of the grid you reach. There are different types of cards that can come out in different types of game. It's interesting because it's, it is a roll and write game because you have that central deck and it's going to determine how you play play everything. But it's also kind of a network building game where you're trying to draw everything together. And it's not the only game like that on this list, but it's unique in that it doesn't use dice and it's highly replayable. Very, very quick and a lot of different variability. Also, relatively short on the time frame. Again, about 15 minutes. I think it plays fairly well with a, a solid player count as well. It's not like a one to two player game. It does pretty good with three, four, five players. So the uh, base game, I think, comes with seven or eight boards. So you can put it in front of a lot of people if you want. That is Kokoro, Avenue of the Kodama. All right, number six. Speaking of games where you're building routes, Railroad Inc. Railroad Inc. comes from Horrible Games and here in the U.S., Simon. And there are two versions of it. There's the red and the blue. The difference between them is the expansions that come with them. The blue has like water-based expansions. The red has fire-based expansions. And the expansions are fine. <laughs> but the base game is what most people play. You have in front of you this short little laminated board, and it comes with the pens, and a small number of dice that you're going to roll every round. And on the dice are roads, stations, and railroads. And they come in all these different permutations, like they're turning left, they're crossing over each other, it's a straight line. You have to choose which dice you're going to use and where. So if you roll the four dice, you have four to choose from you choose where they go on your map. The goal is to connect as many of the exits on the outside of the board as possible and also have long routes in between. You also get bonus points for having pieces of it in the middle of the map, in the nine spaces in the middle. There are additional extra kind of icons you can use throughout the game. There's like a, a pool of them at the top of your sheet that you can choose from throughout the six rounds of the game. Can use you one per round up to three or four, I think. It's uh, very solid. It's a lot of fun. It's very quick. Uh, again, about 15, 20 minutes to play. It plays one to six with the stuff out of the box. If you have both versions, you could play 
up to 12 people because again it's just everybody's using the same dice i've actually played this on facebook groups where someone will just show pictures of the dice and you try to min max how to build your little grid it's a lot of fun i don't know some of these games hit some of them don't as much this one is kind of in the middle it's done well but not amazing i thought it would do better it's really solid though possibly this one had issues just because you had two versions and people were like i don't know which one to get probably would have been better to package it all together but railroad ink is a lot of fun and with the expansions you get a little bit more replayability out of the box number five is a game that has not quite yet made it to the u.s it's coming from stronghold here in the next month or so i think they'll have it at origins this year and it is called encore and in german uh there's nook mall so this game is from inca and marcus brand who are obviously well known in these parts as the award-winning designers of Euro games, exit games, among others. This is a game in which you have a sheet full of different blocks of colored things, right? There's no theme here. So you can tell by how hard it is to describe, but you have a giant sheet. It's, I think, I don't know, maybe seven or eight by 20 across. And each of these will have like clusters of like four or five or six different blocks that are the same color. And what you do is you roll two dice, one's a number, one's a color, and you try to find a grouping that is that number and that color, and you cross up to that many off, right? There are wild ones as well, but you have a limited number of wilds you can use throughout the game. So you have to be careful about when you use them, how you use them. Game flows over a number of rounds based on the letters, and you are going to score points based on completed columns. So every column you complete, you look at the bottom, it tells you how many points you get for it. The further out you get from the middle, the more points you get. It is relatively difficult. It is hard to do well in this game. It's not like a couple of the others we're going to talk about where you can score triple digits with no problem. It takes a bit of time. It's a little rough. Um, there's an app for this if you want to give it a go. A lot of these have apps, actually. Uh, but this one is under the German name. So look up Nochmal, N-O-C-H-M-A-L. I played this one quite a bit on the iPad while traveling. So that is number five. Encore, coming soon. Number four is another Inca brand and Marcus brand game, St. Malo. This is one of the older games on the list uh, from 2012. And it's probably, I mean, it's higher on the list maybe than the mechanics warrant, but it's such a classic and so well known. And it's still one of my favorite roll and writes for a lot of reasons. Like all these games, it's relatively light, but it does a good job of replicating the Euro mechanisms that go into a game of city building. You're building walls and buildings and people on your board and trying to make, work with all the different resources you get throughout the game. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's one of my favorites and it's hopefully will come back at some point, especially with this big boom in uh, Roll and Rights, either as a rethemed game or just a reprint of this one. So that is number four, St. Malo. Number three is probably the best known roll and write until recently, at least, and that is Roll Through the Ages. There's two versions. This is the Bronze Age I'm talking about. There's also the Iron Age, which is like a more beefed up version of the game. Um, this is Matt Leacock from right around the time he did Pandemic. So right when he was becoming one of the hottest names in the hobby, and it was a Spieldish Yaris nominee at the time. You're going to have a sheet that represents your culture. And there's all different things on here. There's like your famine markers, your monuments, you're building all these different charts you're trying to manage. And as you roll dice, you're going to determine what to do with the dice that you roll. You're building up 
how much food you have, how many resources you have. You spend those to mark off things on your sheet, which ultimately will score you points. It has this very unique wooden pegboard and these wooden die. Everything in the box is wooden. It's very nice. One of the problems was that it kind of ended up making the game cost a little bit too much considering what it was, but it's a lot of fun. It was probably the first roll and write type of game I played uh, other than Yahtzee. And I still like it to this day. So it is number three, Roll Through the Ages, The Bronze Age. Now for two games that won a bunch of awards last year and are at the top of the list. If you know Roll and Rights, you can probably guess what they are. Number two is That's Pretty Clever. Um, also going to throw in here the, I guess, spiritual sequel or direct sequel twice as clever because it is the same game with different powers, I guess, for each of the dice. This is from Wolfgang Warsh, who won the Kenner Spiel last year for Quacks of Quedlinburg and got nominated for a whole bunch of other stuff along the way. And this one looks as abstract and crazy as all the others, but it's just so clever how it all works. And there's a reason they put that word in the title, right? Uh, you have multiple different colored dice. You roll all of them, and then you determine one you want to use. And you place it on your sheet. Any dice that are a lower number than that get discarded. You cannot reuse those and re-roll those. You do that three times, and then anything you've discarded, every other player can now use on their sheet. And you go around and you do this for a number of rounds based on how many players there are. Every color of die corresponds to a different part of your sheet which scores in a different way. So yellow ones are based on completed columns. Blue ones are based on number of dice thrown in there. Green is based on how far to the right you can go. Orange is based on total score. Purple also total score. And multiple times throughout each of these tracks, you mark something off, you get a bonus. So you're trying to chain all these bonuses together. It's this big chaining game and the scores can be insane. You know, the averages are like high 100s, low 200s, but like the ultimate goal for anybody who plays this solo is to break 300. So most people say like when they hit that, I'm done, I'm out, I made it. There's an app for this. There's an app for the sequel as well. Both games are fantastic. Well worth checking out if you like roll and write games. That, that's pretty clever. Or if you're used to hearing the German name, Gun schon clever. And finally at number one, I didn't know if this would stay at number one, but they just released a bunch of expansion sheets that kind of added some replayability. And that's Welcome To. Welcome To is from uh, Blue Cocker Games and here in the US, Deepwater Games, designed by Benoit Turpin. And it is just such a fantastic game. There's so much going on with it. There are no dice, but there's a deck of cards in the center that you're going to draw from every round. And then you choose where you're going to place the, uh, the number that comes up combined with the action that is available. So... You have every card has a number between one and 15 on it. And then there's also various different actions that correspond to things like putting up fences or filling in parks or making pools, uh, increasing values, um, duplicating numbers. You have to choose which of these you want to do, how you're going to place them. There are three rows in which to put them and the numbers have to go in order. They have to be sequential. So you really have to be careful not to fill in one row too early. You want to maximize the value of your points in another row. There's a lot of cool things to do here. The expansions add even more variability. There's four of them, and each of them has kind of one unique thing you can do. Like the, the winter one, for example, having consecutive numbers in a row gives you bonus points, like four, five, six, seven, eight. It's a lot of fun. I play this one probably more than any other game. It plays really well solo. There's a new solo bot that comes with it as well. 
lot, a lot of fun. It's why it's our number one roll and write game. Welcome to. And I did mention there are some other ones coming up. I just wanted to roll these off just because I feel like 2019 is going to be like the year of the roll and write. We've got Imperial Settlers roll and write, Kingsburg the Dice Game, Lantern's Dice, On Tour, which is a really hot one, uh, original one coming out, Patchwork Doodle, and then Silver and Gold is another one that's coming from uh, Germany pretty soon and has been getting some uh, spiel buzz. So might get nominated for that. And that's not all of them. There's so many coming out. So Roll and Write is hot right now. If you're looking to get into it, these 10 games are a good place to start or any of the upcoming ones if they're on your radar. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.